Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Pin for Pin podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Atkinson, and we're in week 10 of the collegiate bowling season, and we just wrapped up the World Series of Bowling for the PBA Tour. And so we'll start off this week's episode by talking about collegiate bowling, and then we'll roll our way into the PBA Tour like we always do. I can't wait to get started. And it's going to be a great podcast. Thank you all for listening, and let's get right into it. To start the show, I'm going to talk about the North Carolina A&T State University Vern Stallings Invitational Baker Tournament. NC A&T had a dominant win in both the Baker and individual portions of the tournament. Belmont Abbey, however, finished in last place, which is unfortunate but they will win soon enough. I have confidence in them that in their next event that they will be better and start winning more. As for A&T, they hold on to their second place spot, but they're only 11 points power points in front of University of Pikeville, but they have a strong chance of claiming the top spot, which is Mount Mercy currently, who had a fantastic weekend. So coming up, you'll see a lot of shifting in the top five, top 10, because this is crunch time for everybody. Everyone's going to be making difficult shots, tough shots, and there will be movement at the top for sure. Next on the agenda, we have the Midwinter Invite. Now, this was a women's tournament with the Baker and traditional portion, so we'll start with the Baker part. The University of Nebraska won the Baker portion with a total of 5,494. Arkansas State University was close to winning, only being in second place by 57 points. Stephen F. Austin, Youngston, and McKenzie round out the top five in this event. So, you know this is a pretty stacked tournament. All these teams again have had some sort of accolades which include NCAA titles and USBC team intercollegiate championship gold. For the traditional part, Stephen F. Austin inked out a victory with the Huskers of Nebraska only behind by four pins. That's a misspair. That's a lucky break. That's going for count instead of going for that spare. I mean, this is how close these teams are to winning and beating each other out. This shows that there is massive competition in the upper echelon of the women's teams. McKendry, however, had a disappointing ninth place finish here. As the top-ranked team, I expected them to do better. They are a former USBC intercollegiate team champion and one of the teams picked to win it again, but they can need to continue to show that they are a dominant force and they can't have lackluster performances such as this if they want to win another title. Moving right along, now we're into the Ohio Bowling Conference 4. The University of Northwestern Ohio won this event with a total of 5,127 pins. The only other notable names that were in the field of seven were Robert Morris University, Pennsylvania, who finished second, and Muskegon University, who finished third. 
Now, both of those teams who were runner-up did well, and they are in the top 80. So more than likely, they will earn bids to the sectionals. And Robert Morris so far has been the most consistent to be reaching that goal. Last year, they're ranked 41st. And so this year, Coach Mikolenko and his team can pull out all the stops and maybe make the top 16. But Coach Smith at Muskegon was really pulling in a recruiting roster last year and this year. So if not this year, in the future, they will have a strong lineup to be feared for years to come. Now, for the women, the University of Northwestern Ohio won with a total of 4,511 points. Tiffin University ranked 27th, was 60 pins behind. That earned a second-place finish. Northern Kentucky University with a good third place. They are 66 points away from the top 50. No doubt a win here would have gotten them there. Congratulations to Northwestern Ohio for another great win in both areas. Moving on to the BGSU Falcon Classic, Concordia University emerged victorious over the field of 15 with a total of 6,407. Lawrence Technology University and Trine University were not far behind in second and third, respectively. I have some comments about the bottom teams. Grace College, great college. It's a good school with lots of majors, especially in sports business and sports management. They're a club team that just started with their second coach who's building a program. They're a club now, but they're trying to become a team next year. So any prospective student athletes listening, they that's a pretty good team to go to if you want to get some playing on and build a program. Clary, on the other hand, has been around for a little while, and maybe they're not in the top 80 yet, but they can get there. I was recruited by them, and I know that they're a hardworking program and that are they're doing everything in their power to be great. So it may not be now. It may not be in this year, but next year, I feel like they can break the top 80 if they have the right schedule. Scheduling is a big one because you can pick and choose where you go pretty much. And if you pick to go to more tournaments, then you have a higher chance of being in the top 80. It may sound, you know, obvious, but that's basically what it is. You do well, you go to multiple events, and then you can be top 80. Then once you're top 80, then you can start worrying about being top 16 and winning national championships. But you got to make it there first. It's like the PBA. You got to get to the PBA. Then you got to make cashers rounds. Then you got to make match play. Then you got to make TV. Then you got to win on TV. But you can't win on TV if you don't make match play. So Clary, as well as Grace, have a long way to go before they can get top 80 and start contending for national championships. But they can get there.
As for Concordia University, they're positioning themselves to be in that conversation of top 80 and may already be there, but they just need to keep up this momentum and with the way they're throwing shots with scores like 6,407, I'm sure that they'll make their statements soon enough. Next is the Jayhawk Collegiate Classic 1 for women. Newman University with a fantastic win over the weekend. Ottawa University, Kansas in second place. Wichita State University rounds out the top three. Now, Newman University won with a total of 7,142, but Ottawa University, Kansas was not far behind with 7,092. So this was a fantastic, fantastic event, though it is not my pick for the tournament of the week. Even though it has 16 teams in it and there were many good teams, William Penn's in there, Midland's in there, uh, Lindenwood's in there, Oklahoma Christian University, great college there. I was looked into by them, but it was not the right fit for me. But they are a fantastic program out there in Oklahoma. So Newman won the first leg of this event. So congratulations to them. But they couldn't keep it up for the second portion. For the Jayhawk Collegiate Classic 2, Wichita State comes back to reclaim its first place as they as it should be. Shocking, isn't it? Yes. We go pin for pin, but we also go pun for pun. Second place, Baker University. Third place, William Penn University. Fantastic. Oklahoma Christian moves from 8th to 4th. Good job to them. And Newman University dropped to 6th place. So a fantastic week at the Jayhawk Collegiate Classic. But that's for the women. Now we'll get to the men. The men's Jayhawk Collegiate Classic 1 portion was very interesting. William Penn University won with a total of 7,584. Newman University was only 200 pins behind in second place. Wichita State University, Lindenwood University, and Midland University round out the top five. But for the most part, the teams in the top eight were the same as the women. So you can really tell that all of these programs are vying for that top position. And you could best believe that if they did this tournament multiple times, there would probably be a new winner every single time. Now on to the second part of the tournament, William Penn retained the lead with a total of 7,321. Wichita State moved up to second place. Ottawa University, Kansas got a third place finish to round out the top three. Lindenwood and Midland dropped to 6th and 7th, so that was unfortunate for them as they could not be consistent and make a run at the top spot. But these teams are top 80, so that means that they will get a bid in sectionals so they can have their revenge, 
their redemption, whatever R word they want to call it, retribution, whatever. They can have it all at sectionals, but getting awards now helps you later on. And then when it comes time to beat these teams at sectionals and eventually in the top 16, they will be able to go pick their best lineup with the balls they know they can throw and strike a lot and strike often. As my mentor said, consistency is the key that unlocks the door to victory. So if these teams can grasp that key, I'm sure a championship is in their future. For this week's Women's Tournament of the Week, it was the Ebonite Warhawk Open. What a great name for a tournament. Sounds violent yet bowling, if you can believe that. The winners were St. Ambrose University with a total of 6,216. Second place, Mount Mercy University, 6,093. St. Francis, Illinois, with 5,635. Clark University, with 5,615, very close to third. And Wisconsin Whitewater, with 5,472, round out the top five in the field of 17. Davenport University made an appearance as long as well as Notre Dame College and Calumet College of St. Joseph. Now, this was a great tournament because there was a lot of movement, lots of great teams in it, but mainly because Mount Mercy, with their placing in this tournament, went from third place to first place, jumping North Carolina A&T to become your new leaders in the women's rankings. St. Francis is now in 10th place, jumping 17, seven spots from 17th place. And Newman University coming in at number 12. So good job. For those high-ranking bowling teams, now on to the men's portion. This week's men's tournament of the week was the Ebonite Warhawk Open for men. So back-to-back for Ebonite Warhawk Open. Calumet College of St. Joseph won this event with a total of 6,706. St. Ambrose University In second place, Wisconsin Whitewater in third place, Notre Dame College in fourth place, and St. Francis, Illinois in fifth place, Mount Mercy on the outside looking in with a loss of 12 pins could have got them tied for 15th, I mean tied for fifth, 13 points would have got them fifth place. So congratulations to the top five and the valiant effort from Mount Mercy University. Now, there were 23 teams here. A notable team would be Clark all the way down in 19th. But 
a shout out to Upper Iowa University, Coach DuPaul building a program over there. They actually just signed a recruit a couple of days ago, so they're building for the future. But right now, they're a good team, but they're going to get better. They're not top 80 yet, but they can get there if things roll on as they will. They got to get ahead in the rankings, both man and women rankings. But I'm sure that Coach DuPaul can lead them in the right direction and make them a well-rounded and successful team out there in Fayette, Iowa. Well, as you all know, tournament results are all well and good, but let's see how they determined and affected the rankings. In first place, the new number one, Mount Mercy University, holding down the fort at number one. North Carolina A&T firmly at number two. University of Pikeville at number three. Lawrence Technology University at number four. Indiana Institute of Technology at number five. Martin Methodist College at number six. You got Baker University, Mount St. Mercy University, Weber International, and St. Francis, Illinois in rounding at the top 10. On the outside looking in, Wichita State at number 11, if you can believe that. Newman University in 12th, Midland at 13th, St. Ambrose at 14th, and Grandview at 15th. Shout out to Lincoln Memorial in 18th, uh, Ottawa University, Kansas with a nice week and moving to 19th place. Even though they used to be in 16th place, they still did great. It wasn't a reflection on them. It was other teams etching them out and doing more. And in 25th place, Alma College. Now, Alma College is a women's program. They don't have a men's team, but I was actually recruited to wrestle at Alma. So that is interesting. Glad to see the college have some success. But now, looking at the top 80 in 80th place, Rochester University holding down the four. And in 81st place, Robert Morris University, Pennsylvania. They can get in top 80. They were in 88th. Now they're in 81st. They have a shot at getting there, but it's going to take you know, uh, a pretty good week for them to get top 80. They got lots of points to climb if they want to get in there. Also in the outside looking in, Thomas More University, Siena Heights University in 87th, Upper Iowa University in 88th, a look Belmont Abbey College in 99th, Clare University in 97th. So there's a lot of things going on in the women's division. Hopefully, RMU and these other colleges can make it top 80, and the schools that are in the type top 80 can defend their spot. Now, on to the men. In number one, Wisconsin Whitewater, 
the club in Wisconsin holding down the fort, the number one top school. Marion University, Indiana, second place. St. Ambrose University, third place. Newman University, fourth place. Rounding out the top five, Mount Mercy University. Calumet College of St. Joseph in sixth. Weber in 10th. St. Francis in 12th. All these colleges. Wichita State in 15th place. William Penn University won an event but is still in 16th place. All these teams are vying to be number one. But some have good weeks. Then you see them drop. And you see them come in first and then third and then second and then first. And all these points, those missed pins, those spares, Everything affects the rankings and the PowerPoints, and you're seeing it right here with all the moving. Wichita State moved up seven spaces while William Penn moved up 15 spaces. These colleges are peaking late and trying to establish themselves. You know, if you're making brackets, you have the top 16 with William Penn and up. Now you look at the past success, Wichita State is always a good option. Weber International is a great option if you're looking at traditional success. Lawrence Technology University, they had a good run a few years ago. But at the top, it's relatively new, fresh blood trying to win this event, which is the USBC Intercollegiate Teams championships now they'll have their singles but this is the team rankings and there's no i in team there's just the team per se so yes all these colleges have the chance to win and if these rankings play out wisconsin whitewater will win now we all know that brackets rarely go according to how they're seated. So it'll be quite interesting to see which college comes out on top. Will it be the traditional powerhouses? Uh, Wichita State, William Penn, maybe Lindenwood sneaking in a victory or Weber? Or will a new college maybe out of Iowa, St. Ambrose or Mount Mercy University? Or will it be Wisconsin Whitewater defending the number one spot and taking home USBC gold. Well, that's all for this week in college bowling. Let's move on to what's happening in the PBA. All right, it was the World Series of Bowling. Five titles up for grabs, six winners, lots of losers. Let's get right into it, starting off with the World Championship. In the first match, Chris Vi won 216-201 to 201 over Kyle Troop. Kyle just really couldn't get it going. I mean, he was doing okay, but Vi was just doing better. And we all know that Kyle was in the running for player of the year and an early out. Even though he made TV, he still lost in the first match, which was unfortunate for him. But he will bounce back eventually. Chris Vi moves on to face Jacob Buttriff, the lone lefty. If Jacob Buttriff was on his game, I was positive that he could get away with the win here, even though 
Tom Doherty and EJ Tackett were on the show, and EJ's won this event back in 2016. But as predicted, Jacob Buttriff beat it, beat Chris Vi 249 to 227. It was really all Jacob, all match. It was not, it was a competitive match, but Jacob just took it to Chris Vaughn, and the score reflected that. Match three, it was Jacob Buttriff versus EJ Tackett, and I'll tell you, I was, I was disappointed. I thought this could be EJ's EJ's major, you know. EJ won this back in 2016 against Tom Smallwood, and it was an emotional victory for him. Even though I, before the event, I wanted Tom Doherty to win because he's 46, you know, he might not get another opportunity. Whereas EJ is already Hall of Fame eligible. He could quit right now and be in the Hall of Fame in a few years. But Tom Doherty doesn't have that luxury of youth anymore. But EJ kind of dropped the ball here. He lost to Jacob 210 to 178. And this was one of the lowest scores EJ's ever bowled on television. So hopefully EJ will bounce back and rebound from this. But Jacob cruised his way to the title match. And then, in a high-scoring title match, Tom Doherty wins his first major with a great, the greatest break of his career. He wins 263 to 257. He trips out the 2-8 late and wins his first major, the world championship. Tampa Tom won a major. This gave him three titles, and I was so excited. I was so happy for Tom. Because Tom, you always see him on television during the Elias Cup. And you're like, how has this man not won? How has he been on tour for so long and not won as much electricity as he brings? How did he not win? Well, today he won and he became a three-time PBA Tour winner and a major champion. So congratulations to Tom Doherty. For the PBA Roth home and doubles, it was a night of upsets. Now, going into this, I wanted Kent and Tackett to win, but I knew that probably Kyle and Jesper would win. But boy, it was interesting. First, right off the bat, Kyle Troop and Jesper Svensson beat Sean Rash and Matt Ogle 270 to 226. That was just a strike fest. Match two, however, was a different story. Chris Prather and Andrew Anderson beat Kyle Troop and Jesper Svensson 203 to 202. And what really affected it was Kyle missing a spare, a multi-pin spare. And if he had gotten two out of the three or one out of the three, he would either tied or had placed higher. 
and gotten a 204, or if he even made it, he would have gotten more pins. But you could just see the anguish, the agony in his face. He was just so distraught with himself because, again, it's a team effort, and he felt like he was letting Yesfer down, which is quite understandable. But alas, they were not able to successfully defend their doubles titles, so we will probably see them next year trying to recapture what was lost. In the next match, Chris Prather and Andrew Anderson beat Marshall Kent and EJ Tackett 235-214. to Not much to say there. Anderson and Prather were getting all the breaks. Everything was going their way. Sure, they left a few here, left a few there, but they were on a roll. And then it culminated. BJ Moore and Tom Doherty versus Anderson and Prather. Remember, Andrew Anderson hasn't won since his Player of the Year campaign in 2018. And Tom Doherty just won his first major. Chris Prather already a major champion. So this was a show to remember. The final, Andrew Anderson and Chris Prather beat BJ Moore and Tom Doherty 245-203. to Tom's ball reaction just wasn't looking right. It was going in and out, in and out. But Anderson and Prather, again, getting all the breaks. And they were just cruising. They could feel it. The shark smelled blood in the water. And they went for it. And then, at the end of the day, Anderson got his third title. And Chris Prather got his fourth title. So congratulations to that dynamic duo. Right. So now we're at the Cheetah Championship. This was Monday, and the animal patterns had a new format. It was that the top three scores would move on, then the lowest score would lose, and it would go all the way up until the title match. They bowled full games, and the participants were Chris Prather, Marshall Kent, Sam Cooley, and Anthony Simonson. Now, I thought... This was Marshall's chance. Sure, he had Chris Prather and Anthony Simonson, but if he could put in a few good games, he could win a title here. Just had to keep being ahead, being ahead. When the first match, he actually had the second highest score. Chris Prather shot 257, Marshall shot 256, and then Sam Cooley shot 225. Simonson wasn't doing so well and shot 214 and I thought this is great nothing against Simonson he just has more titles than Marshall and he's a bigger threat to Marshall losing and I thought Sam Cooley he would get out the next round but unfortunately in the second game Marshall lost with a 215 Chris Prather shot 236 and Sam Cooley shot 258. So it was a Sam Cooley, Chris Prather title match. And Sam Cooley, we've seen him on TV sometimes. He's a fellow Australian. Jason Belmonte helped him get his papers to bowl here. He stayed with Jacob Buttriff while he was in the U.S. And so this was just 
a great thing seeing Sam Cooley winning on television. But he had the shark, Chris Prather, hunting for another title. Chris won the doubles championship with Andrew Anderson, and now he was trying to re- he was trying to capture the Cheetah Championship. But Sam Cooley was not to be perturbed, disturbed, and he waltzes in and shoots 247 to Chris's 185. Now, it was going bad right from the get-go, and then it was just going downhill for Chris Prather. But Sam Cooley, he was just doing his thing, doing his thing, and eventually he was able to get the win. But he was just striking so much, and then Chris Prather saw the riding on the wall, and he was very classy, missing the spare, not to interrupt Sam's moment. And this was for his mother, who unfortunately passed away a while ago, but it was just so nice seeing Sam Cooley win on the PBA Tour after working so hard. So congratulations to Sam Cooley of Australia. For Tuesday, it was the PBA Chameleon Championship, and it featured Sean Maldonado, Jacob Buttreth, Zach Weidman, and Jason Sterner. Now, Jacob Buttreth was the person who I thought was going to be able to win this after not being able to pull it off a couple nights past. He could have the potential to win this because he's had the most experience out of the bunch. Even though Jason Sterner has four titles, Jacob Butcher has a major and he's won the most. And so I thought Jacob Buttreff also being a lefty would help play into that advantage. And so the first game, uh, Jason Sterner was eliminated with a score of 184. And so game two would feature Sean Maldonado, Jacob Buttreff, and Zach Weidman. Jacob Buttreff shot 224, and so did Sean Maldonado, but Zach Weidman unfortunately shot 209 to lose and so my thinking was okay Jacob Buttreff is kind of losing his reaction but he could still get the job done but Maldonado hasn't won and I was thinking well Jacob could probably win again but I haven't I would like to see Sean get one win at least one like, he's been so close so many times, he can get one. And I'm sure Jacob will get either another major or three more titles to make himself Hall of Fame eligible. But I like to see people spread the love. But you have to earn it. And Sean Maldonado did. He shot 250 to beat Jacob Buttreff, 250 to 202. And it was so exciting to see Sean Maldonado win. Tom Doherty came out to congratulate his best buddy, Sean Maldonado, and it was great seeing him win. He had some injuries in the past, and he came back. He was better than ever. He took his thumb out of the ball, and the results speak for themselves. So congratulations, Sean Maldonado. And the final PBA event of the World Series of Bowling was the Scorpion Championship. 
Now it had Michael Tang, Chris Prather, Tom Doherty, and Kyle Troop. Tom Doherty and Kyle Troop contending for that player of the year spot. Both of them having a major and a win here could very well put them at the forefront of that list. Now, Michael Tang hasn't been on TV for a while, and so this was a great opportunity for him. Chris Prather winning the doubles championship and then losing to Sam Cooley. Now, the first match, Tom Doherty shot 244, Kyle Troop shot 213, and then Chris Prather and Michael Tang tied. Now, Prather just wasn't getting it at the beginning, but Tang, he was just nine spare, nine spare, nine spare. And so Prather was like, if I can string some strikes together, I can get this done. And sure enough, sure enough, he was able to get it. I mean, this was this was just one of those where you never give up. Like Norm Duke versus Mika Koivimieni. You just never give up until it's over. And so they went to double elimination. Tang struck, then Prather struck. Then Tang got nine, and then Prather struck. And it was ballistic. I mean, Prather was so happy that, I mean... I'll just say it was just inspirational to watch. Then, match two. Get this. Doherty shoots 276. Troop shoots 279. And then Prather shoots 237. And Prather's eliminated. I mean, you shoot 230 and to lose by 40, he said. Like, this is just unbelievable. And then, in the final match... Tom Doherty beats Kyle Troop 266 to 254 with the strike yelling, exclaiming, This is my house. Tom Doherty captures his second title in the this year's World Series of Bowling. And this is what I wanted. I wanted Tom Doherty to have a resurgence. Kyle Troop, he can win more. He can, he's young. He's got years left to get more majors. But Tom, he's on a he's on crunch time. If he wins one more major, he is Hall of Fame eligible. If he wins six more titles, he'll be Hall of Fame eligible. And with two majors up for grabs, I believe that he might as well get it. He could come out at 46 get a major, and then be inducted next year into the Hall of Fame. This could happen. On a side note, though, it was a sad, sad day because Tom Doherty had to beat Walter Ray Williams Jr. and Pete Weber to get to the telecast. And before those events happened, Pete Weber, as well as Walter Ray, announced that this would be their last tournament on the national tour. They will still compete on the PBA 50 and PBA 60 tour, but this was their last national tour. And I was sad. Pete Weber is by far my favorite professional bowler. Kyle Troop is up there. Marshall Kent's in there. I like Belmo. I like EJ, Bill O'Neill, all the good people out there on the PBA tour. Norm Duke as well. But I was just sad because Pete 
Pete was a great bowler, and I think that he could still win. But in his words, he could hit the pocket with them, but he couldn't strike with them. And that showed in his match with Tom Doherty. Walter Ray, on the other hand, he was doing great. He was up two matches to zero. And then in the third match, he tied Tom Doherty and missed in the roll-off. And then Tom Doherty came back and won. And that was just unfortunate to see. But to the legends out there, thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for all the great moments. Hopefully, I will get to meet you in person and this podcast will age and I'll be able to tell you guys all about it. But I just want to say thank you to Pete Weber. Thank you for Walter Ray for giving us these lasting memories of you that will echo through the end of time. But who do you think you are? I am was the first thing. I saw of Pete Weber. I watched the U.S. Open 2012 all the way through. I didn't know who you were. And I was like, oh, okay. It's just an old guy bowling. But as it built and each match kept going, and you beat Belmo, and you beat Fagan, it was just, I just instantly became a fan. And then when you exclaimed, who do you think you are? I am after getting... That strike to win 214 to 215, I was a fan for life. So thank you, Pete Weber. That's all for this episode of the Pin for Pin podcast. But as always, everyone, remember the levels of success are good, better, best. So never let it rest till you're better than the best. Go Everyone, have a wonderful week. New college bowling up this weekend. I can't wait. And there's two majors coming in the coming weeks. So it will be fireworks. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Because this podcast is where you'll get all the latest info on what's going on in college bowling in the PBA. And I'm shooting to become the number one bowling podcast. So if you want to come on the ride with me, let's go. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.